Yeah, so uh, I'm ready. Nick, are you ready? I'm ready. It's good to okay. be back. <laughs> it's good to be back. Well, everyone, welcome to On the Same Page. All right, all right. So we are back, getting ready for the next episode. Uh, I'm Coach Latham. I'm here with my boy Nick, who you can find on all his social media platforms at Eyes on Nick. Uh, as we finish up uh, Radical Forgiveness uh, by Colin Tipping, and this week we are doing chapters 19 uh, through 22. So, um, yeah. So, Nick, how have you been doing since uh, we last recorded? I've been good. We're, ta- we're talking about the book or just how I have I been? I don't know. You know, just how you've been. I've been okay. I've also been doing okay with the book. Very purposeful with the use of the word okay yeah (laughs) yeah good so we uh collectively decided to make some adjustments to um finishing the book uh as soon as possible (laughs) (laughs) yeah so we uh we we definitely the last time we recorded we shortened uh, shorten like our in between time, um, so that we can can be done with uh, Colin Tipping, and and transition into the next book, um, which again is called The Power of Regret: How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward. It is by Daniel H. Pink. You can get it out of Barnes and Noble. Um, do they still have a books and music exchange? Is that still a thing? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we just dated ourselves by even knowing it. Um, yeah, Barnes and Noble. Um, uh, we got ours on Amazon. Ship it right to the door. I, I think I got this one at. It was like a bookstore in the airport. Okay. See. So if you, if you travel, yeah. You know, if, if you travel, <laughs> you know, you're a traveling girl. Make sure you stop. You know. At the um, fancy uh, book book kiosk, and pick up the Power of Regret um, by Daniel H. Pink, so we can all be on one accord. Uh, yeah. Okay. So. Yeah. So I, I I've been doing well uh, as well. I've had some uh, heated exchanges with some of my my college students that are not happy with their um, grades. Uh, which is interesting because grades are all based on the amount of uh, the students input um that's that's the output that they get and i'm a pretty easy going like college professor uh i accept late work you know um if you miss a midterm i'll work with you to make time so you can retake it i even create study guides 
Um, I got rid of all the busy work out of the course. So you're only doing stuff that I believe is fundamental for your learning. Um, and I had, I had a student that <laughs> the courses are almost over. I think we have like two and a half weeks left. And he told me that he did not agree with the weight of the discussion boards. Um, again, I, I am the professor. <laughs> <laughs> he's the student and he told me that he didn't agree with the weight of the discussion boards um not bearing in mind that i set it up so that even if you didn't do well on the midterm or the final one or the other you could still pass the class because the discussion boards are 35 percent of the total grade um and i i purposely did it that way as well because you're supposed to have more interactions with your uh you know colleagues in the in the class to the discussion board since we're doing everything online and uh he's a senior student and so he made the conscious decision to skip the discussion boards because he didn't believe they were that important and he is failing the class because it's 35 percent of your grade <laughs> so <laughs> So he is not pleased. Um, and I had to drop him from one class because he was doing so poorly. And uh, it's pretty much the same thing. He just didn't want to do the discussion for us. So he's filing a complaint with the uh, the college about that. Uh, so I sent him the link to, to so he can expedite his com complaint before the term is over with. Uh, but we had we had a few emails back and forth, and then ultimately he saw like my point, and he appreciated my fairness in the matter because I did give him the opportunity to make up the assignments, um, make up all his assignments, and uh, he chose not to. So there is that radical forgiveness. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so chapter 19, uh, we could just jump into it now that we've had our cold opening and you know what we have uh, been doing this last week and a half. Um, fill in the pain. This was, this was an interesting one. Oh my gosh, I have such a good story about uh, this woman that I encountered the other day at work that was very deep in her victim uh, type. Um, so deep so that I had to like step back and just go through the radical forgiveness uh, process and, and was like, oh my God, wow, she's really like deep into her victim uh, victim mindset here. Um, all right, so feeling the pain is the second stage in the forgiveness process. And it says that it usually arises as a consequence of telling the story. Um, this step requires that we give ourselves permission to feel the feelings we have around a given situation and to feel them fully. Uh, if we try to forgive using a purely mental process uh, by denying that we feel angry, sad, or depressed, nothing happens. Um, the main word that I wrote down our phrase is spiritual bypass. I never heard that word before. Um, and I thought that was interesting. Um, and once I read his example of it, 
I was like, oh, okay, yes. I know a lot of people who do that, um, where you can, you know, be experiencing, like, let's say, anger or depression, and then you get told, like, you know, oh, you shouldn't be angry about that, or in order to forgive someone, you have to quickly cycle through being frustrated with them. And that's not, that's not true because to be human is to feel. So um, yeah, this, this whole chapter was really about like feeling the feelings and acknowledging them and appreciating them uh, and, and then working, working through them. So um, I will turn it over to Nick and then he can give you his thoughts on this chapter and see what notes he took. Yeah, that was actually something I noted on the first page as well. I think mm -hmm. just because uh, in most like fields, there's like the emotional people and the intellectual people. So I feel like mm -hmm. there's kind of that separation we see often. So I appreciated his like focus on saying, if you try to do this purely mental, it won't work. Mm -hmm. um, because it's it's one thing to know like this is the order of events like this is cortisol being released uh your heart rate is like beating at 90 beats per minute like all that is physical mental makes sense of it but to actually feel it is a completely different experience so i appreciated um him just making note of that that's what I that's what I took from the first page. Mm -hmm. um, and then he went into uh, he went to a spiritual workshop and he was finding himself uh, oh. frustrated at the spiritual workshop, which I found a little funny just because I'm like, <laughs> that's where you go <laughs> to be like humming and stuff. <laughs> uh, but that was not his experience. Mm -hmm. um because someone came in was like yelling at him and like threw the a workshop monk. off the monk yeah the monk mm -hmm. came in and was yelling at him mm -hmm. and was throwing the workshop the off but then he had to remember to feel the pain and like his embarrassment in that moment and the workshop ended up being so much better because of that moment of the monk coming in and yelling and then he flipped it around afterwards and like spoke to the monk and was like all grateful the mm -hmm. monk was confused because he was like i was just yelling at you why are you expressing gratitude to me yes so the um the backstory on the workshop uh he colin had been hired to work with some people from uh a business who were spiritual healers in England. Um, and a lot of these people had been taught to like resist their feelings. And basically like an hour into the workshop, he says, I knew I had a disaster on my hands. Um, I should look up this word. He says it was like swimming through treckle. I'm assuming that's gonna be like seaweed. So it might be our version. Remember that Colin Tipping is uh, English. Um, and so he was having a really tough time getting through uh, to these spiritual um, practitioners because they believed that they had transcended their emotions. So um, they were firm practices of spiritual bypass. And uh, the universe sent the monk in 
to help him get the story across because uh, he got very upset with the monk and basically stood his ground and told him to get out from his workshop and that he would come out and speak with him when he was finished. And the monk is like finger wagging at him and telling him like, no, you're going to come out here and talk to me now. And he's like, no, I'm teaching a workshop. Get out of my workshop. <laughs> you know, I, I could just like, as he was uh, detailing it, I could see this exchange happening. Um, but it turned out, and, and I bookmarked this because I wanted to talk about how we take very small issues and blow them out of proportion. Uh, it turned out that he was upset. The monk was upset um, because Colin had not rung the bell to let him know that they were there. And the monk had been sitting in his room waiting for the bell to ring, not thinking that they might just push the door open and go in. And so um, you have this huge uh, clash over a minor misunderstanding. The monk is waiting for the bell to be rung so that he knows that somebody is now present and Colin not recognizing that this is the uh, expected practice to ring the bell, to notify them. So um, this was great to talk about how you can have a misunderstanding that if you don't learn how to communicate and comprehend effectively, it spirals out of control as most of our um, interpersonal conflicts actually occur so yeah okay that's that was my thing on that <laughs> let's see and then that was that was pretty much that uh metaphor scenario that he used but mm -hmm. on page 239 i like loved when he addressed the myth about feelings yes yeah i have brackets around that Okay, where he was like, there are only two kinds of feelings, positive and negative, and the negative ones must be avoided. So that mm -hmm. is false. And just on like feelings research, there is like, they're still trying to figure out how to one, quantify feelings, and then mm -hmm. the measures that we have right now, they do separate them into like positive and negative, but they're trying to figure out if it should just be like, a standalone for each feeling. Mm -hmm. So that's pretty cool. Well, I think it's interesting that we consider um, feelings to be positive or negative when we as humans are the ones that associate a positive or a negative response, you know, um, <clears throat> because if something makes you sad, we assume that sadness is a negative uh, emotion, but you can use sadness in a positive way, like most people who become social workers or uh, counselors or anything like that have had sad experiences in the past and they use that sadness to empathize with other people and, and they become like very, very good, uh, or I shouldn't say good, but very proficient um, public speakers um, or counselors, or, you know, stuff like that. So. There's a book that I was reading. I have it upstairs um, by Brene Brown, which is funny because she actually, um, on the back of The Power of Regret, the next book we're reading, <clears throat> she is one of the people that uh, uh, Daniel lists as someone giving a review uh, of his book. 
So I think that's the universe telling me that I need to finish reading her book, uh, Atlas of the Heart, which is about a study that she did on emotions and how people only really uh, focus on like uh, sadness, happiness, grief, and anger as the primary emotions. And there's hundreds of other ones that they don't even know how to define. Um, so I have to get back into it. It was kind of dry. <laughs> it was good information, but it was a little rough. So I did something I usually don't do. I pulled up the uh, the podcast for that book and started listening to some of her breakdowns on like the Oprah. I think she did something with Oprah or somebody else. And I was listening to her break the book down uh, on the podcast. And maybe that's why I didn't pick it back up. But I really do need to finish that book. So I'm going to add that to my list to finish. But yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So the rest of this chapter talked about how to get in touch with your anger. Um, and this made me think about this, uh, not program, but this uh, business model that somebody started. Like, a, uh, is it like a destroy room or something like that? You probably, yeah, I think we talked about it. Yeah. You know, so uh, if you're not familiar with it, basically, a person will own like a warehouse space or something and then they go to a junkyard and they just get a bunch of like like beat up cars tvs tables wooden dressers all that kind of stuff and then they give you a sledgehammer or whatever and you put on goggles and you go into the room and you just get to destroy stuff and scream and yell and you know get out all of that stuff and as colin talks about this as being anger work and how anger is uh energy that is stuck in the body and when you are um, destroying stuff, you also want to, to yell and scream because it's getting everything uh, rolling at the same time. So I thought it was very interesting. And I really do want to go to one of those places anyway. I like tearing stuff up anyway. So it really is a fun experience. <laughs> never been. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I really enjoyed the way he spoke about anger just because I feel like I'm much more of a broad topic kind of person who's mm -hmm. training himself to get into the details mm -hmm. and I really appreciate the way he verbalizes uh, this type of work because it really is energy release work and mm -hmm. I underline experience this emotion purposefully and with control because I think that is the important part when doing this type of work Mm -hmm. And he uh, really pinpointed and highlighted that anger oftentimes is a secondary emotion. So while it is something that we need to process and experience, it's not usually our first response to something that has happened to us. It's like pain that has festered and like transferred to anger. So I appreciated that as well. And then he broke it down even more it was saying that most of the time it's just physical activity. Um, mm -hmm. So how you were saying, like some people become like social workers because they use that post-traumatic growth and that pain to do something good and be empathetic. This is like using anger as your motivator. Maybe like you go to the gym or like you said, go to the range room, but to be with yourself, be with your anger in that moment, and then to use it. 
appropriately mm-hmm. in the proper yes. setting. Yeah. Yes. Uh, what else? Oh, yeah. So then he talks about having this anger addiction warning, um, which you know is, is a good thing because he says uh, it is too easy to get addicted to anger. Anger feeds on itself and easily becomes uh, resentment, which resentment is relishing over uh, an old hurt and constantly revisiting the pain associated with it. Um, and we must realize that anger that persists serves no useful purpose. So short-term anger that we can use to move us from a negative situation into a positive outcome is healthy. Um, but if we are consistently going back to a negative experience and associating anger and resentment with that to stay in that negative space, um, that is not healthy for us. Um, it doesn't allow us to properly cycle our energy for its uh, best use. Yep. And he ends that chapter with saying, use it only as a catalyst for positive change. And I think that's really cool because negative emotions are good for rapid changes and mm-hmm. positive emotions are good for like steady, consistent changes. Yes. Yeah, I agree. So that wraps up chapter 19. Uh, chapter 20 is about collapsing the story. I thought that chapter 20 was interesting because um, he, he starts this out very clearly stating the story is where the pain resides. And so uh, instantly uh, I resonate with that and, and I understand it because it is through the telling of the story that we get to see somebody else's uh, interpretation of what is occurring in their life and how it is occurring to them um, and and sometimes for them. So I thought that was very, uh, well, not that I thought about that, but just as soon as I saw collapse in the story, I immediately understood exactly where we were gonna go uh, in this chapter. So um, you all cannot see it, but Nick is uh, overjoyed with the fact that we were on chapter 20. So I'm gonna let him uh, introduce us uh, to chapter 20 and, and guide us through it. So take it away. No, yeah, I got excited just because I feel like the story is where all the good stuff, like that's where everything you need is. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I just was overjoyed because that's where the solution is. Even if like they state it in terms of a problem, you now know what's wrong, what they're seeking. Mm-hmm. Like, where the cognitive dissonance is. So it it just makes sense. Um, and most of the time, the story is just your perspective. So then it allows the opportunity for the other, per- other person's perspective to come in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I like put into a little box, I like underlined and boxed it to dismantle the story is the process of getting the information. Yes. Um, so yes. it's like getting the narrative and then going in with your glasses and your highlighter, like, okay, well, this is where you experienced some pain. This is where you were dissatisfied. This is what you're mm-hmm. seeking. This is what can be given. This is what cannot be Like, that's where the nerd moment happens. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he goes on to say right after 
um, that spot that you talk about, dismantling of the story, he says, in tracing back the story and how it was formed, we usually discover that a core negative belief arose out of the experience. Um, <clears throat> so whenever I hear like, uh, like a core memory or, or a core belief, I always think back to that movie, um, Inside Out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I cried so much. <laughs> okay, sadness. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah, but um, it was such a good movie. If you've never seen it, it's called Inside Out, and uh, I thought it was a very like interesting, uh, interesting uh, plot line. And the way it was developed, basically, it, it follows this young girl as uh, she's going through puberty and her parents are moving from one area to another, um, which does tend to happen to a lot of us as we grow up. But you get some of her story from her perspective on the outside, but then it shows you all of her emotions on the inside, mainly like happiness, happiness sadness, anger, and uh, love. And... Uh, you see them like in the control center, which is her brain. And then she has like her core memories and her beliefs and her values and all that stuff. Um, and, and so anytime I, I see those words, I always immediately go back to that movie and just think about um, how we make those connections on the inside. So um, I took some notes on the figure 14, how a false story grows on page 247 and I have uh, the event and the event then goes out to uh, the pain that is felt, which then goes out to the interpretation, um, which then goes out to how we tell the story seems to be like the way it all plays out. Um, this has uh, kind of like a, a backwards funnel where one thing builds on the next. So central to this is the event itself. And then the next circle around that is what you felt. The next circle around that is your interpretation of the event and what you felt. And then the next story, I mean, sorry, the next circle around that is you telling the story to other people. Um, <clears throat> the more times that you tell the story through your own interpretation, the more it becomes real and the more it becomes fact. Uh, and, and that is where a lot of people tend to uh, tend to find themselves stuck because they've told it so many times, they've relived it so many times that they're unable to see it from any other perspective until they do some kind of work like this where you remove yourself from being the victim of the story and then you start to talk about, okay, this is why it happened, this is what I got from it, and this is how this is actually helping me to grow. And I'll say shortly after he uses an example of a woman who was struggling with the idea that she was abandoned mm -hmm. when she was younger. And the original event that he explained was that the father left. That was the only fact of the situation. And mm -hmm. everything else was BS, which Colin mm -hmm. Pippen abbreviated belief system. I thought that was a cool little pun um, mm -hmm. and that the rest was just her perspective um, and interpretation of her own feelings of the event 
and then I thought something powerful given with that scenario was that mere absence does not constitute abandonment. Mm-hmm. And I think especially as like with this example and like using Jill's example earlier from the novel that as we get older, we eventually start to realize like, wow, our parents or the generation before us were doing this, these same, the same internal work, like processing these same emotions, going through these same world events. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes it easier to not fall into the victim archetype or fall into that uh, pathway of like blaming everybody else instead of like doing the focus on yourself. Mm -hmm. So I thought Mm -hmm. how he presented that was really cool. And then, yeah, the pun, like if you got a good pun, it's going to stick out. So he did that. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, uh, in Jesse's story, her dad died when she was young and then her mom uh, became ill and, and could not, uh, could not cope when Jesse was about two years old. And so Jesse had to go live with her grandparents for a while. It, it doesn't um, talk much else about like her upbringing after that, but um, essentially <clears throat> Jesse interprets the uh, absence of her parents to mean abandonment primarily by her mother. And Jesse is a 52 year old woman and every couple of years, she gets fired from a job or she loses a relationship. And she attributes this to being abandoned when she was a baby. And so her interpretation is that if her mother could only stand to be around her for two years, then who else would be able to stand to be around me for longer than that? And, you know, I must really be a bad person. And the universe is, uh, you know, taking it out on me. And so for all these years, she really felt this way. Uh, and she came to the workshop having just recently been fired from a job that she worked at for around that same amount of time. And um, through doing the radical forgiveness worksheets, she saw that this was a limitation that she had placed on her life through her story. Um, and it was really because she never got the answers that she needed to really understand that her parents didn't abandon her, like her father legitimately died and her mother um, was dealing with her own grief through the death of her uh, loved one. And so um, through this process, she was able to neutralize her original abandonment story. And what she came to understand is that um, the universe was giving her the opportunity to heal that old wound every two years to address the inner belief that she felt that uh, her mother didn't want to be with her. So yeah, so the, the universe is, uh, is an interesting thing. It is. Um, I really liked, so it's called centrifuge, um, but I call it the washing machine analogy. <laughs> <laughs> what? How'd you get the washing machine analogy from, from the... <laughs> <laughs> the feeling <laughs> centrifuge. Okay. All right. So here is how. <clears throat> All right. 
when you put something into a washing machine, right, um, it spins to first, it spins to get everything clean, right? And you've got the water and the, the detergent and the softener and it's spinning, 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 doing its thing. Well, then once it drains all that out and it starts spinning very rapidly, it's keeping the clothes on, and you all can't see my, my analogy because I'm like whipping something up right now, but it's keeping all the clothes on the outside uh, of, the, uh, of the gravitational pool. And as it's doing that, the water is being separated from the clothes, so centrifugal. Um, but what I like about this idea is that we load our story into the washing machine and then we start the spin cycle. And as the story is spinning and you're working this process, our interpretation of the story is being sucked away like the water. And then when you open the washing machine up when it's done and you're gonna transition it into the dryer to make the story very nice, the, the facts are the only things that are left. So that's how I got the washing machine thing. Okay. See? Oh no. I, I see it. I see. It. <laughs> I, see it. I I appreciated the centrifuge. I probably just because I you know I'm with the whole like juicing goes with being like holistic and like healing. Oh, I definitely see you as a juicer. Right? Yeah. So, yeah. So I I I just went along with the analogy they gave. But in the book, you know, they put the carrot into the, the top of the centrifuge. The carrot mm -hmm. is the whole story. And then mm -hmm. the juice is just the facts mm -hmm. that remain after mm -hmm. all the events have been parsed through. Yeah. Yes. 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 I loved it. I thought it was very interesting and it was um, an excellent way to, you know, to, to illustrate this. Um, and he talks about this where he says that in forgiveness, it is centrifuge uh, in reverse, basically. And so you're taking a story, which is the discomfort, the hopelessness, um, and then it's, it's a mixture of facts. So that's what has happened and your interpretation. So these are all your thoughts, judgments, assumptions, all that stuff. And then you put the story into the top of the imaginary centrifuge or juicer. Uh, and then as you start to push it all through, um, the only thing that you get left with are the facts and then you get the truth. So it, it reminds me like when I'm interviewing somebody, um, <clears throat> you know, let's say Nick and I get into an argument and somebody's going to interview us. So you have Nick's side, which is his interpretation of the events. There's my side, my interpretation of the events. And then in the middle of all of that is the truth about what happened. And so you take a blend of both narratives and you put them together and that's how you establish fact versus fiction. And that's that's kind of how I feel about this whole process. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry, I'm only, y'all can't see me laughing. So he was like, why is he laughing? <laughs> Cause I feel like some people just be lying. They just be lying sometimes. No, they, they yeah, 100%, 100%, yeah, yeah. And that's why, you know, I appreciate Judge Judith Scheinlin. She does not play. <laughs> no, because she always said, the truth makes sense. It's my girl. The truth makes sense. And that is so true. <laughs> Even if you don't like it. Even if you don't like it. Even if you don't like it. Listen, some truths are very hard to accept. But they do uh -huh. make sense.
No. And then I like um, after he talks about the centrifuge uh, and the facts of the situation, he then takes it <laughs> one step further, which I thought was awesome because I've actually used this skill myself and taught this skill. But for scaling like your thoughts on a mm -hmm. scale of one to a hundred. So after you get the events or your feelings or your actions to then rate it on a scale of one to a hundred, how much you agree with it. Mm -hmm. And then to do the same thing with the actions, thoughts or feelings that you want to express, like rate how close you are to that point. So where you mm -hmm. are and where you want to be. And then you can compare those numbers. And then we get into the worksheet next. But I feel like that transitions well into the worksheet. Mm -hmm. um, just because he talks about willingness to participate in the activity is essentially like proof of healing already starting to occur. And I mm -hmm. thought that was really cool. Yes. Um, I think in closing out chapter 20, a good closing point is that through the radical forgiveness reframing, um, <clears throat> he challenges you to change the energy around the event, but he does close out by saying that um, there are some things that are still bad. Uh, he uses uh, probably, uh, I mean, more of like a, um, I don't know why I'm drawing a blank on the word that I'm trying to think of. Uh, anywho, he uses murder as his example. Um, and, and so we, we know that a murder is going to remain a murder no matter what interpretation um, that we may have had or what we come through with the facts. Um, and so in this, he says basically that like the radical forgiveness worksheet is not going to make the murder positive. Right. Um, but it is just going to help you shift your energy around the event so that you can accept that the murder has occurred and then you can healthily um, move forward. So I think that was an important little piece that he dropped in there. Um, are we ready to go into chapter 21? Yep. OK, so chapter 21 is the radical forgiveness uh, worksheet. And I didn't take any notes out of this. I just read through it. Um, I think maybe maybe next week. I thought about doing a worksheet myself, um, but I think maybe next week I would because I, I didn't really know like what I wanted to talk about um, because it does require a lot of transparency to do this. Um, it's it's pretty uh, intense. Yeah, that is a long word to read. <laughs> I was actually gonna how you wanted to go about it. I didn't mm -hmm. take many notes. This was another one of the chapters where I like minimized the information that was there instead of expanding mm -hmm. upon it. Mm -hmm. um, but again, just to segue between the two chapters, I appreciate he starts off in 21 saying, the worksheet itself is an energy experience. Um, and it just, shows your willingness to do the work necessary to heal. And then before he jumps into the worksheet, he makes note that this could take days or even months. And mm -hmm. I think that was super helpful and nice to readers. Uh, that way, like, 
people wouldn't be hard on themselves mm-hmm. for like emotions that revisit or they find themselves like in a pattern which he makes note of later on in the chapter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the step that I found was the most interesting was step nine. Uh, I know I'm jumping ahead and, and I can scale back uh, if there was something that you wanted to talk about before that. Uh, let's see. But, oh, did you hear that? Okay. Uh, step two? No, I was. it went out for a second. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, so we're having some uh, little intermittent issues with the Wi-Fi for some reason. Um, but, okay. Yeah, so step nine was about noticing a pattern and seeing the perfection in it. And I'm a pattern person. Uh, I definitely have a thing with time intervals. Um, so if, if I look at the clock, I usually always catch the clock at least two times a day where it's 11, 11 um, in the morning and at night. Uh, I have a thing about doing stuff in um, even numbers. <clears throat> when uh, it's, it's funny, when I was in my training in Connecticut at the insurance company, I was telling people about it and they thought I was crazy because I ordered all my drinks in twos and I usually like will still do that um you know it, it's just it's, it's my thing we were sitting here I ate two things of yogurt <laughs> here. um and, and and so he talks about repeating patterns uh one is is like marrying the same kind of person over and over again um you know picking a life partner who reminds you of your mother or our father or the same kind of event happening over and over. Um, he also talks about number patterns and how, you know, like like Jesse, you might lose a job every two years. You might fail in a relationship every nine years. Um, you create your relationships in threes. So you date this person, then this person, this person, and then nobody for six months. And then this person, this person, this person, nobody for six months. Um, and he says to create a timeline so that you can have a better understanding of your thought patterns and the cycles that are occurring in your life. And then to um, pay attention to your body clues. So your intuition um, is the hair on the back of your neck sticking up when you get into certain engagements. Uh, and then I like where he talks about coincidences and oddities. This is such an interesting little point um, because it challenges us to accept the possibility that the situation may be purposeful. So I do believe in coincidences. Sometimes you meet certain people um, for certain things and then there are little oddities about, about life. Like you might be expecting something to work out one way and then the universe just gives you a completely different uh, outlook on it. Um, so just, you know, I brought that up just to say, just to look out for those things really. Um, cause that stuck out to me as being an interesting part of this, but I would like to do a, a, um, a worksheet. I think we would be remiss if we didn't because we've made it through the entire book. So maybe we can both work on one and then, um, talk our way through it, um, for the last episode. Yeah, we'll work.
right. So that's really all I have for chapter 21 because everybody was mainly the worksheet. He gave um, some examples of some worksheets and then he put the worksheet in the book. And then that was really the end of uh, chapter 21. I do have a couple things that stuck mm -hmm. out. Um, I'll start from, where is it? Mm -hmm. All right, just because I, I appreciate when things appear more than once in a book, so make sure the emotions you identify represent your real emotions so acknowledging the whole spectrum of what you're feeling because when you try to do forgiveness work i feel like it's often that you lean towards the like ah, i can't be upset or angry when the whole last chapter was like feel your anger feel the pain mm -hmm. um, and then to own the feelings uh when you own it you understand that while something has happened to you, you have control over your response and how you manage your response. So like nobody can make you do something. Mm -hmm. uh, he said, release the energy surrounding the story. We just spoke about the energy release work. He used anger but that can be generalized to different emotions as well. Um, mm -hmm. uh, and listing your interpretation of the event. I think that's really useful as well. The event is one thing and then your interpretation, you wanna throw the scaling onto that. I thought it was cool to see him revisit that. Addressing negative core beliefs and then I really like that he had a list to choose from because I think we use terms like address your core belief. And then if you've never done this type of work before, some of us are like, well, what does that look like? What does that sound like? So I appreciated that he gave a list mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. people to see uh, on 272. Mm -hmm. um, reframing was powerful because that's the step after you tell your narrative to then start, well, not start, to then continue the healing work. So reframing your story, reframing your thoughts, reframing how you look at the situation because the power is in the narrative. The pain is in the narrative, but so is the power. Mm -hmm. um, and then I, honestly, I just circled the pattern thing because I don't, I believe in patterns. I don't necessarily really believe in coincidences. Mm -hmm. So that was just a... Uh, a thing for me to circle. I was like, ha, ah, like other people see this as well. <laughs> yes. Um, and, oh, wait, I did do more in this chapter. Okay, I, I did a little bit in here. <laughs> um, I'll leave that one for me. Okay. Yeah, and I, I brought this up in chapter 20, but it was actually from 21. So I'll just mm -hmm. read like the actual statement. Your emotions about your situation may come back time and time again, and you can make that okay too. I mm -hmm. thought that was so like, oh crap, word like is gone. I thought that was nice for the reader. I wanted to use a much different word than nice, but I thought that was like super cool. Um, and he gave grace, there we go. He gave grace to the reader to understand their own like cyclical process of a 
like of emotion because yes. it is like a cyclical process. Mm-hmm. And then once you realize that, it's like, wow, I don't need to be sad and then feel bad for feeling sad. It's like, no, let the sadness pass, let it go. Yes. Bada boom, bada bing. Okay, now that is all I have for chapter 21. <laughs> Okay, that takes us into chapter 22, uh, which was short and sweet and to the point, uh, the four steps to forgiveness. So I consolidated these a little bit. um, And and, and so the first step to forgiveness is to look at what I created. Um, And basically, again, this assumes that we are in control. So we create circumstances for our own healing. Um, whether you see that as positive or negative, that's the first step. The second step is that I notice my judgments and I love myself for having them. Step three, I'm willing to see the perfection in the situation. And then step four, I choose the power of peace. So uh, let's go in and, and break these down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on page 305, figure 18, the victim land roller coaster. I thought this was uh, very, very interesting. Um, essentially, it's a chart on an X and a Y axis. Look at me going back to my algebraic days. Uh, and so there is a, a even line that says something bad happens. And if you think about audio waves, this line goes up and down. Um, the radical forgiveness learning curve is going to be uh, at the bottom, closer to uh, the y-axis, and then uh, we're, I guess, kind of like above, like the baseline. That you're going to see the victim land. Inside of uh, victim land, you are committed to being spiritually unconscious and everything happening against you when you stay in the radical forgiveness learning curve where there's relatively uh, a peaceful existence, you're gonna be spiritually aware and you're going to default to the radical forgiveness response. Um, On this spectrum is your emotional energy and then time. Time being your time frame needed to process through the event. So, and that, uh, oh, did you have anything before we go into the first step? Uh, no, I actually, I love how you're explaining it. I just interpreted this because his main thing with radical forgiveness is shifting unconscious to conscious. So I appreciate that the model shows that unconsciousness is typically like our standard functioning mode so that like we can slip into that once we strive for like radical forgiveness. So I interpreted this as using like upset feelings as that unconscious marker to then become conscious again. So you notice a shift in your own energy. So like, wow, I'm feeling upset today. I'm not really Mm -hmm. sure what has occurred to make me feel upset to then start that process of like, huh, am I in the victim mindset right now? Like, let mm-hmm. me go through these steps. Yes. Yes. So uh, I, I like that, you know, the first step was very clear and concise. You know, um, 
trying to help us to avoid falling into the trap of assuming guilt for whatever is happening. And if you remember from very early in the book, Colin talks to us about how we uh, grow up as children and we believe that everything revolves around us. Um, so we're removing ourselves from that mindset and understanding that um, all of this stuff is not happening for the sole purpose of uh, us. So step one is looking at what you have created, right? This scenario for your healing is what you created. Um, and then stepping into step two, we are really, what I wrote down is acknowledging our humanity. Uh, and, and that goes back to chapter 19, talking about feel the feelings and how people try to do that spiritual bypass and, and basically say, oh, I don't want to feel anger. Anger is bad. I don't want to feel sadness. Sadness is bad. I want to be happy, happy, happy all the time. You know, everything's fine. It's all fine. It's all fields of roses and rainbows. Uh, and Colin very, very clearly states that um, always trying to have a positive mindset is uh, false. And it's not a good way to, to go through life because you need to understand that sometimes things don't work out and you feel bad for them not working out. You feel angry for them not working out. And that is a healthy response to... Uh, to to stuff uh, not working out right but we have to understand that that is the universe creating the opportunity for us to heal an old wound uh and when we heal that wound we don't have to continue to repeat that lesson so i appreciate it step two because it, it helps you to get in touch and understand that you are a spiritual being having a human experience and a part of that human experience is to feel human emotions um so yeah do you have anything on that one uh, I like that he said our judgments are part of ourselves, so we must love them as we love ourselves. Um, mm -hmm. Because being non-judgmental is possible in your like the way you interact with people, but mm -hmm. cognitively, I'm not as sure if it's possible. Just because brains are there to categorize and sort and sift through information, <laughs> so that's like yes. essentially what. A brain does yes so while you cannot be judgmental like racist or sexist actively like in your mind like your thought like you have to process all this information that's constantly fed to you so. mm -hmm. yeah and and um <clears throat> yes the brain acts like a filter because it's constantly you know processing information um processing what it's seeing it's just processing so much stuff and uh, that is uh, it's a part of like your ability to have impulse control and to recognize, okay, yes, I could say this, but I don't wanna say that because then this will happen. Um, I think, uh, I remember when at one point in time I was taking, this is the Prozac or Wellbutrin. Years ago, I was trying it out for a depression, right? And I noticed that it was making me like very agitated <clears throat> and I was at the gym, I was working out and uh, it, it like, I was having this thought about like, what would happen if I take this weight and hit this guy with this weight? And I was like, Oh my God, like, I don't want to, you know, like think like that, like that's not, that's like not my normal thought pattern to think about violence like that, you know? Um, 
And, and so uh, I immediately like stopped taking that medication and told my doctor what was going on. And uh, that was just how I transitioned into uh, therapy um, because I'm not a fan of taking medication. And then I wanted to correct that low serotonin level, uh, you know, without the need to take something every day, you know. But uh, I tell that story because that was like a very scary, scary time frame in my life where I was trying to do the right thing, right? Trying to take care of myself. Uh, and I felt like the medicine was having an adverse reaction on my impulse control because I, I really felt like I wanted to do that, you know? And, and so, um, yeah, that was, that was uh, an interesting little tangent. I don't even know how I got there. Um, yeah. So, okay. Step three, I'm willing to see the perfection in the situation. And, and Colin says that willingness is an essential step in the radical forgiveness process. Um, and again, we talk about surrendering or submission. Um, it equates to a prayerful surrendering in the moment to the divine plan and the willingness to love ourselves for not being able to see this plan directly. I think that is very interesting, especially coming from a Christian background where sometimes people are very hard on themselves because they don't see, um, they don't see like the purpose that God has for their life or they don't see, um, they, they, they don't see like where God is taking them. And then they feel like less than, or uh, uh, they don't feel empowered because they don't have the foresight. Um, and that's just a part of going through the divine plan. Like you can't always know exactly how everything's going to shake out, but you understand that it's all happening for your growth. So that's what I got out of step three. Uh, step three, yeah, I, I actually skipped over step three. <laughs> I did, I like, I read it and I was like, okay, Colin, you're saying, you said this before. I was like, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, 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 listen, everybody, we have enjoyed the book. The universe has given us many opportunities to use the skills from the book and um, we are, ready to finish up next week strong with the book and then transition into the new book so the universe can re-energize us <laughs> yeah our so much so we are so energized we're doing seven chapters <laughs> we're right. that's how energized we are to finish this book <laughs> all right so the last step is i choose the power of peace um basically this step is saying that uh, you accept the divine purpose that is served in this situation and that what appears to be a caring may be illusory, um, but we choose to feel peace and to use the power of peace and whatever actions are required of us. Um, and it says the power of peace is found when we are fully present in the moment, acting with clarity and focus to do whatever may be required and being completely aware of our feelings. I love that part where it says, that we are fully present in the moment. Um, to be fully present in the moment is to not be resentful of the past or to be in fear of the future. Um, when you are focused solely on the present, um, you're only paying attention to what is happening in the now. And, and that is where the healing takes place.
And again, the term we use for that is mindfulness. Yes. <laughs> yes. So um, that was chapters uh, 19 through 22. And yes, we are going to finish this book next week. Thank the Lord. Um, and then we will be rolling into our next book, which again is The Power of Regret, How Looking Backward Moves Us Forward by Daniel H. Pink. So if you have not ordered it, make sure you get the ball rolling because you do not want to be behind. You have two so, weeks to order it, I think? Uh, yeah, yeah, because um, we'll upload this episode this week. And then um, we're going to record our next episode for the following week. I will do that sometime this weekend or, or next week. And uh, yeah, then you got you, you, you got to have that new book so you can stay on track with us. Because we already have the third book picked out. So like... We're ready to go. Yeah, yeah. Listen, if you're not keeping up, you got to catch up. The book club is doing big things. I like that. If you're not keeping up, you got to I like that. Yeah. I yeah. Like yeah. So, um, okay. I think that, that wraps it up for today. And um, yeah, we'll see you all in a week. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. Bye, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah.